talk about the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Let me tell you, part of your business is enjoying life, you know, and, and uh, with that, the show being around now since uh, really even before the word podcast had existed, we're a radio show that also podcasts. Uh, we've been around for a couple of decades. Uh, I take liberties, particularly around things I love, which includes music. And uh, today we're going to be talking to the author of a fascinating book uh, that looks into the uh, one of the most iconic figures in rock history, Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, and that of uh, of his band. Uh, Pledging my time, conversations with Bob Dylan band members. A new book with our guest today, Ray Padgett. Ray, welcome to the program. Really, a a fascinating uh, history book. Reads a lot like uh, public history in a way. Um, very interesting into insights and, and perspective. Uh, glad to have you on the program. Talk a little bit about your background and what led you to writing this particular book. Yes, well, thanks for having me. I am a longtime Dylan fan, and I started a Substack email newsletter uh, during the pandemic. Uh, and I, you know, I, I wrote about Bob Dylan concerts, and I started interviewing band musicians who played with him. And it just struck me these are the people who have most direct access to a fairly enigmatic and mysterious figure. And they kept telling me these amazing stories they'd never told before, and I wanted to share them with the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one more interesting thing that came out of uh, COVID. Some some interesting things, some good things, actually, and, and this would be uh, one of them. Not that I'm glad we had COVID, but uh, there's a bright side to everything, and this is one of them. Talk about the uh, the thing that captured you the most in writing this. You know, this is a substantial book, um, and, and what's interesting is that uh, – of course, it's, it's edited. You, I'm sure you, uh, you know, had to pare it down. Uh, but with that, it, it, it seems voluminous in terms of the amount of information on him. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of these musicians played with Dylan for years. So the number of sort of funny, interesting, fascinating backstage stories they have, or even on stage, you know, there's a number of people talk about they're playing a show in front of 20,000 people, and Bob Dylan yells at them to play a song that they've never rehearsed, and they just have to figure it out in front of an audience. I mean, that sort of thing happens all the time. Wow. Yeah, and so very spontaneous. Um, how many of these members still work with uh, Dylan? He, I, I, don't, I don't. Does he actually... Do concerts anymore or just special events? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, oh, he's he spends his life on the road. He's he tours like a hundred dates every year, which is fascinating. Really? You know, Lord knows he does, Lord knows he doesn't need the money. He just sort of lives his life going from town to town, almost like an old an old troubadour. And yeah, some of these musicians, you know, none of them are in his current band, but one through line is he'll call on the same people over and over again for decades. Someone like Jim Keltner, you know, has played with him in the 70s and then took a break and then in the 80s and took a break and the 90s a few times and took, like on and on. He just, these people come in and out of his orbit over many, many years. Yeah. So there's not any burnt bridges. It's just people go on to do other things for a while and then for a while they want to come back. Yeah, I mean, Dylan is so sort of, he's always on to the next thing, so he doesn't keep most people around for very long, like, you know, McCartney or something might, but he remembers them, and when he's doing something where he thinks they might be a fit again, he'll call them up. Sometimes it's been decades, like Ben Montench from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, toured with him in the 80s, didn't hear from him for like 20 plus years, and then he gets a call like, hey, do you want to come in and play on this song? And he does. Yeah. 
Talk about, uh, you, you know, when you look at, at uh, the stories involved, what, give, give us one in particular that, uh, or two in particular that really stood out to you that speaks to uh, who Bob Dylan was, uh, personality, character-wise, that type of thing. Yeah, well, one that stood out to me is this violinist, an unknown violinist whose name was Scarlett Rivera. In the 70s, one day, she's walking along in New York on the street, basically carrying her violin, trying to get a job somewhere. A car pulls over, the back window rolls down, and Bob Dylan, of all people, pokes his head out. He says, hey, can you play that thing? She says yes, and the next thing she knows, she's in his band. And that sort of uh, strange process is how a lot of these people come into his world, just sort of right place at right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very spontaneous. Uh, uh, take action and ask questions later, and apparently it worked for him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, you know, even someone like, he's just always making music. Like I talked to Jeff Bridges, who acted with him. You know, their role, they're working together. We're supposed to be acting, but one day Jeff Bridges is killing time in his trailer on this movie they were doing together. There's a knock on the door. He opens it. There's standing Bob Dylan holding an acoustic guitar, and he says, hey, Jeff, want to jam? And so they just sit in Jeff's trailer playing music for no audience. That sort of thing happens all the time. Yeah, you got to love that. you got to love that. Um, Talk a little bit about uh, how he operates today as far as touring compared to the past. You say he he does 100 shows a day. I find it shocking, to be perfectly honest with you, because I watch music closely, and I don't see see a lot of uh, Bob Dylan appearing here, Bob Dylan appearing there. You know, is he targeting smaller venues? Is he doing it just for uh, the, the, to maintain the engagement? Uh, of course, he does it for the love of music. Talk a little bit about how it is now versus maybe how it was 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, he, it seems to be the love of music. You know, in the early days, he would, like a lot of musicians, he'd go out on a tour promoting an album, and then maybe he'd be off the road for a couple of years. But with the exception of the pandemic that forced everyone off the road, he's been basically on the road continuously since 1988. Fans call it the never-ending tour because it seems like one tour that just hasn't ended, and he doesn't need to. He's, You know, the guy's rich. He doesn't need the money, but he'll just go to, you know, he'll play New York City, and then he'll play, you know, some small town in Indiana. It doesn't seem to make a difference to him. Yes. So where will he play in New York City these days? He, he usually goes to the Beacon Theater, which is sort of a midsize theater. So he's not doing the Madison Square Gardens anymore. No, I mean, which is interesting because I think, you know, he could if he would if he would play the game. Like if he was someone who would play all the greatest hits and strum an acoustic guitar and do Blowing in the Wind like it's 1962 again, he could be playing much bigger venues like Madison Square Garden. But he doesn't do that. He'll play obscure songs. He'll play famous songs but done in a style that no one recognizes. Like he's just constantly creating even when it means that he probably plays smaller venues than he otherwise would have. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, very interesting. So what were some of the takeaways from there? What were, what were some of the things that you found surprising uh, in your, your conversations with him that, uh, that uh, became takeaways that uh, you think are significant? Well, one thing that struck me that came up in conversation after conversation was these musicians comparing playing with him to jazz. And I found that fascinating because at first I'm like, I mean, come on, he's not Miles Davis, you know, he's not John Coltrane, but they were saying, I mean, he's not making jazz music, but just that sense of spontaneity, that sense of living in the moment, that sense of not playing it the same way 
more than once just kept coming up. And, you know, these people talk about how playing with him was the most invigorating part of their career, but also could be the most exhausting for the exact same reason. Kind of hard to keep up with. Yeah, I mean, the, the people would burn out just because they're like, you know, I can't play, I can't think of a hundredth different way to play like a Rolling Stone, but that's what he wants. He doesn't want you to play it like it's 1966. Yeah, he's very eclectic. You know, obviously, you know, early on, I think a lot would just describe him as a, you know, pigeonhole him as a folk singer. You know, he's a folk singer, but, you know, you look at what Jimi Hendrix did uh, with Watchtower. <laughs> You know, there's there's more to it. There's definitely more to him that meets the eye. A lot his music has transcended a lot of different genres, and I think he's helped uh, shepherd that. That's definitely a through line of his career. That whenever people try to pigeonhole him as one thing, he's likely to go in the exact opposite direction. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, how many people did you interview all together for the book? Uh, about fifty. About. 50. Now, were they all band members or people who are just part of, you know, the uh, the crew? Two-thirds of them were, you know, official band members, and one-third were, I mean, I mentioned Jeff Bridges. He wasn't a band member. Um, and, yeah, there were some people who, like, were tour managers or sound engineers. And I say in the intro that one thing that struck me about this book is, you know, there are some big names, but in some cases it's the most obscure names that have the best stories, and they've never told them before. I think that's fascinating. All right, we're about to have to wrap it up. Very interesting conversation. Do you have a website, or you just want to direct people to where they can get the book? Yeah, well, the book's available everywhere, but I have this email newsletter on Substack. It's called Flagging Down the Double E's. The website's flaggingdown.com. It's all about Bob Dylan and concert, and I'm going I'm to continue interviewing people who have played with them and running them there. Yeah, maybe you get a volume two out of that. Ray Padgett, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Pledging My Time, Conversations with Bob Dylan, Band Members. Now, give me that title meaning, Pledging My Time. Pledging My Time, I took it from a song on Blonde on Blonde, one of his most famous albums, oh, and yeah. I just thought it it, it fit well because both these musicians all pledged their time to him, you know, going on the road for 100 shows a year, sometimes for year after year, and also Dylan has sort of pledged his time to us, the fans, the people who love his music just by, you know, constantly creating, constantly making new music for decades now. I bet if you look up Ray Padgett uh, and Bob Dylan, you'll probably find his newsletter easily, but plus you can find it at Substack. Get that uh, website one more time. Flaggingdown.com. Flaggingdown.com. Thanks so much for being with us, Ray. I am Kevin Price. This is the nationally syndicated Price of Business. Stay tuned for more after this. <laughs> 